You are listening to the Extraordinary Events Podcast with Dr. K, episode number 86. Welcome to the Extraordinary Events Podcast, where we aim to educate, inspire, and empower individuals who wish to design transformational experiences. Now, your host, event education champion, Dr. Kristen Mallet. Hello, hello, my friends. We have such an amazing episode here for you today. Today, we have an industry expert joining us on the podcast. If you have been listening to the podcast for any amount of weeks now, you know that every other Thursday, we alternate with industry spotlights. And then in the off Thursdays, we tend to feature some student-created podcasts. And for our industry spotlights, we don't just pull in event planners or experienced designers. We pull in people from all walks of life, all tangential industries, because events truly are everything. We're psychology and urban design and UX, which you'll hear about today. We're all the things, we're architecture and landscape. And, and it's really valuable to have all of these different inputs and points of view when we're trying to maximize our own industry. So today I have special guest, Ash. I'm going to let her introduce herself and all of her amazing details. I've known Ash for almost three years now and truly an expert in her area. So Ash, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Tell everybody who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Ash Banajic. I have been in the UX field for about a decade now, a little over that, and my job essentially is to mix technology with psychology to build better, more intuitive products. So for those of the listeners who maybe don't know what UX is or stands for, can you kind of give us a little bit of background information on that? Sure. UX is user experience. Instead of UE, we use the X because it sounds cooler, right? <laughs> so with the, the UX, essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to focus our products around the people that actually use them. We kind of centered the engineers and the developers and the product creators and the business around what the thing was going to do. And we realized that if we actually center the users around what we're going to build for them to use, we have a lot better outcomes. Now that doesn't mean we ignore the business. It just means that we now have a much larger microphone for the users and really trying to meet their needs. And one thing that I found fascinating just talking with you over the years is we met in a totally not work-related area. You were UX and I'm sitting over here as an event designer, totally not related except this concept of design. But when we started talking about our career paths and our jobs and what we're doing, it's almost kind of the exact same thing, except you're focused on a product and that user experience. And I'm focused on an event. So it's just, it's, a, it's kind of a product, but not a product. Uh, we're both focused on that user experience, me from an attendee perspective and you from a user and product perspective. So when COVID happens, I had to transition all of my classes online and I was just 1 million percent swamped in work and you being the excellent, amazing friend that you are, you're like, well, we're both in design fields. Do you want some help? 
And you had offered to kind of look at some of these group projects with me and some of these individual projects. When you were going through those, even with your UX background and you're looking at these theoretical event proposals, what stood out to you in terms of synergies between your field and my field? Well, the goals are very similar, right? That, that return on experience. For you all, you're looking at your attendees and you want to make sure that when they are walking through the event space, they know where to go. You're making sure that if they are thirsty or hungry or have other needs that you can kind of meet them in some way so that you're kind of keeping them energized throughout the day. There's a lot about events that you could use UX techniques on. For example, usability testing. Now with that, it's essentially when we take a product and we test it with real users in the context that they're going to be using it in. Obviously with an event, you generally don't run like a test, a complete test run event full to scale, right? But you might go to other events and kind of walk through and ask yourself certain questions. What am I having doubt about? What don't I understand about this event? Where do I find this? How do I get this questions asked? And then you might also ask other participants, hey, are you having these problems too? How did you solve them? And then you can actually do a dry run on your events too. If the day before you're kind of walking through and you're doing more of a cognitive walkthrough of, okay, what am I seeing in front of me? What context clues do I have? What questions do I have about this? How could I solve those questions? So I see a, a huge overlap between those two things. And it was actually pretty easy to switch context. Um, I just had to learn a little bit more about event spaces. One thing that I find really interesting is that there is such an incredible overlap and the experience that end user or attendee experience, they're very similar fields. And yet in events, we kind of tend to think about it more or historically have thought about it more in terms of a logistical standpoint, maybe a design standpoint, but not overall as part of the strategic planning of an organization. And then here you are in UX doing the exact same thing, except for a tangible product. And you have an entire team that works with you from the very beginning to the very end, doing all kinds of testing, um, development, can you kind of explain that process from initial concept, thought in the middle of the night in someone's mind, all the way up to finished product and what that looks like? Sure. So in an ideal sense, if you're doing it in the best possible way, you would have that idea and then you would start actually doing research in that exploratory space. So to put it an events spin on it, Let's say you had an idea for an event and you want to see if there's actually uh, what actually is out there currently in that event space, what's currently missing from it, what makes yours unique, and really what people are wanting there. So in my exploratory phase, if I'm going to look at, let's say I'm going to look at our, our engineering space in my company and I'm going to look at how we do track maintenance, I'm going to actually go out there, I'm going to be watching people do track maintenance. I'm going to be talking to people that are impacted by track maintenance, all this other stuff to figure out kind of that, that, that space. And then from there, I can start pitching ideas. Okay, so I think we need to have a project that looks into this, this, or this. I think we need to really completely redo um, this section. I think we need to basically explode this product and replace it with something else. In the event space, that's 
that's part of your validation step, I would imagine. You want to validate if the event should even exist in the first place. Um, and then once you find that and you find your market for it, then you can kind of start building it around it from there. So we do that research and then we actually start that design phase where we flow it out, storyboard it, try to figure out kind of what is the overall process flow. And then we kind of start digging and going in deeper. So we start from like the thousand foot and then we keep zooming in on each individual aspect of the design. I'm trying to keep it pretty broad here because we're talking about events, <laughs> not product design, because events, you know, they happen oftentimes it's once a year. You have that one opportunity, you have to hype around it, you launch it, everybody has that experience. And then you're trying to keep yourself relevant and pertinent throughout the year. We have kind of different problems there. <laughs> well, and I don't necessarily want you to focus as much on the events. I want you to focus uh, all the thoughts on UX and then I can pull it into the event perspective from how I see them tying together from, from my field. But I love that you're because we are both in very similar industries and both with the design framework, it's so easy for you to see how it would transfer over, even though you've not really planned major events <laughs> before, uh, at least as a head event planner there. So one thing that I've noticed in our industry in events is the constant mindset of if it's not broke, don't fix it. It's always worked this way. And I'm constantly, constantly fighting that. Is that the same in your product world or are you truly focused on innovation and no one has that mindset? That is an interesting juxtaposition of my job because we have, I work for the railroad industry, which is a very old industry and they very much have that if it isn't broke, don't fix it sort of mentality. Well, then you have technology. And technology is constantly changing and reinventing itself. You can't just say, oh, I learned this technology 20 years ago and I'm gonna do it exactly the same way for these next two decades. You just can't do that because technology moves so fast. So when we're actually looking at the technology points and like updating the technology, that's more of an easier sell than, hey, let's redesign the process flow. Hey, let's look at why we do it this way. Hey, let's look at what is currently failing here and what is currently succeeding here and really build on those successes and try to figure out how we can negate those failures and design in a better way. Can we make this faster? Can we make this more delightful? Can we make this easier to understand? Um, can we eliminate, you know, 15 out of these 20 steps? Why do we need to have it be so complicated? So when we're, we're looking at that, I will say when we start eliminating steps, when we start rewriting how the process works, when we start consolidating systems and making things simpler, we always get a ton of pushback because some users really like complexity because it makes them feel masterful. Right. And I think you might see that in, with some of your event planning too, is if they know how to do it this way, they have mastery over this way, and then you kind of switch everything out from under them, then that leads to them kind of pushing back. Although you kind of had to switch everything out from under you last year, didn't you? Yeah, some of us did. Some of us decided that we were just going to take a year off and <laughs> not wait it out, but that didn't end very well. I find it interesting something you just said. You said, you know, in some areas, it's very 
easy to embrace that innovation, but that it was difficult in things like process flow. And when I think of process flow, I think that that's directly relevant to events because it's this abstract um, process oriented area that is really, it's not just a mindset, but it's like an abstract concept. Whereas most people are focused on the product. Why do you think that it's easier to accept innovation and products rather than process or services? I think everybody wants the newer, faster, stronger technology. And I think technology companies do a good job, especially in smaller customer products, like the apps on your phones and things like that. People see that new technology coming out and they want that in their work systems too, because I do primarily internal applications. So we'll have you know, higher ups in the company kind of pushing, oh, we want to have a smartphone app for this, or oh, we want a wearable or whatever it might be. I, wanna, I want this to be voice activated, et cetera. So there's that desire to get that in because they want to have the, the, these cool products. As far as the, but we've already done it this way, that's the comfort, right? That's the, the familiar. And a lot of people don't want to change that, that comfortable thing unless the new thing is three times better. I always tell people, if it's not three times better, it's worse because of all the mental anguish it takes for people to learn new things. And it's just exhausting, especially if everything's kind of changing out from under you. I'm writing down that quote. I'm going to put it in the show notes. I'm going to hang it up on my wall. If it's not three times better, it's worse. It's kind of like totally not related to this, but it's like, if you're tired and you get a one hour nap instead of a three hour nap, it's actually worse because it makes you more tired, but that might just be my current mindset of where I'm at right now. <laughs> Ash, as the world becomes more and more transdisciplinary, interdisciplinary, everybody's expected to know everything. You know, you are technology, your process, your psychology, you're all the things, even though you have a great team in place, you're still expected to know the basics so you can ask the right questions and kind of help guide teams into what you want. And I think that that can create an overload of information in events. We're expected to know psychology and neuroscience and all the design elements and logistics, strategy, marketing. We have to know all the things, which is very similar to you. How do you keep up in a world that's ever changing where you could literally spend a full, you could make a full-time job just keeping up with the research? How do you manage that? That's extremely difficult, but the best way for me to manage it is dedicating to coaching someone else because if I've made a commitment to them, then I'm making sure that I'm keeping myself up to date. Another way I do that is I'm in other user experience groups. So if you have industry groups that you either have like a book club or a meetup or other events where you can just kind of organically share, this is what I'm working on and this is what I learned. And you can share articles. Maybe you're in a, a Slack channel or a Discord or a Twitter uh, DM group or whatever. All of those things I use to kind of keep my field accessible and at my fingertips. And on Twitter, I even follow some of my favorite UX authors. And, you know, we've had some dialogue, which is really cool, <laughs> just stuff like that. Um, and that kind of keeps me interested in learning. As far as finding the time, you pretty much have to build it in. Like I, I basically set aside 
a block time on my calendar to do it. And sometimes, yes, that time gets pushed because I have deadlines and deliverables that I need to do it, but I can't push it for more than a week or two. Otherwise, you're just going to keep falling behind and then you're just going to get exhausted trying to keep up. Absolutely. What great advice and input. People ask me all the time, how do you keep relevant? And I say the same things. It's our professional associations and their monthly meetups or webinars or whatnot. And then truly coaching in my facet, I'm a teacher. So I constantly make sure that my information is up to date because students in today's generation, the students that are at the university, they will call you on your shit (laughs) in a heartbeat. They will be like, Dr. K, I just Googled what you just said and you're wrong. And thankfully that hasn't happened to me, but I know teachers that it has happened to, and I don't want that to be me. So I will not be teaching super outdated information. All right. We do love to keep the podcast to 15 to 20 minutes because we know a lot of people time is is scarce. Time is valuable. And we never take it for granted here on the podcast. If you had any parting words of wisdom, like one golden nugget to kind of take away for all of our listeners out there who are maybe overwhelmed with life or with COVID or career choices or taking the next step, whatever's on your heart right now, what would that be? Can I go back to an old Frank Lloyd Wright quote? He was a great architect of physical structures. And his quote is, it's better to use an eraser on the drafting table than a sledgehammer on the construction site. And really what that means for me is to plan, to sketch, to iterate, to make changes and do that as much and as quickly as possible when the means for failure are so low. You know, if I fail, I just need to erase. I just need to change a data file and fail then. And then when you're actually physically building that event or building that product, keep checking, keep checking and iterate, but you want to get it before that concrete is poured, right? Before those studs are placed, because as soon as you make mistakes on that scale, things get really expensive and really hairy really quickly. You know, as much as I have been in architecture and design, I have not heard that quote. And I've also written that quote down. So we'll make sure to put that in the show notes as well. Two excellent quotes in such a short time span. Ash, I want to thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It was truly a delight. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. And for all of our listeners that are tuning in, we never take your time for granted. We appreciate each and every one of you. If you found today's podcast to be enjoyable, make sure that you rate and review, subscribe, share with a friend if you found it to be valuable. We love your feedback. Hit us up on Instagram or TikTok, Facebook, or email. All the information will be in the show notes. We um, just love and value all of you so much. And we appreciate you taking the time to make the time today. We will talk with you soon. Thank you for listening to the Extraordinary Events Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode.